We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Brother Rob, if you could turn this down just a hair, the pulpit mic, it uh, just feels a little, little electric to me. That's good. Thank you. Let me share with you tonight some simple truths about the judgment seat of Christ. So simple that hopefully, even if you were here tonight hearing about it for the very first time, that it would, you could understand it and be motivated by it. Now, there are a number of judgments and things that the Bible refers to as judgments coming in the future. But the two great judgment seats mentioned in the Bible are the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ will happen first. The great white throne judgment is the end of all ends. That is, that is when Satan gets cast into hell. That is when all who have rejected Christ are cast into hell. And that is when God turns the page to the new heaven and the new earth. That is at least 1,007 years away from right now. But the judgment seat of Christ could potentially begin tomorrow. How? Because the judgment seat of Christ, by all educated guesses as you read the Bible, takes place after the rapture, after we arrive in heaven with Jesus while the tribulation is going on here on the earth for seven years in, in time. We are in heaven, and the two great events in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The judgment seat of Christ is when believers stand before Jesus Christ and he assesses the quality of of our Christian life. And I want to establish for you tonight, and, and we are rewarded by if I were to, if you said, Pastor, put it in, in as few words as possible, okay, I guess I would simplify it by saying it is where we are rewarded for our service. But that just sounds like a, an awards ceremony. And as you know, at an awards ceremony, People who got stuff, everybody claps for them and they walk up and you get a, you know, a, a certificate or maybe a medal or maybe even a trophy or a plaque. And the only shame there is if your name doesn't get called. That's not quite what it's going to be, and I'll show that to you. So let's look at these nine truths from our text about the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, the judgment seat of Christ is the ultimate examination of every believer's time on earth. Everything that you're a part of that has to do with growth and productivity or even competition, when you join, you always know what the great goal is, what the great end is. And if someone is teaching you or training you, they know that their job is to tell you what that great end is 
and how to prepare for it and to help you prepare for it. And the great end. See, we have talked about the judgment seat of Christ as if it's just one of these events that happens along the way. Well, there's a rapture, and then there's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's mercy, and then let's get on to good stuff. Streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. Wait a minute. The judgment seat of Christ is the culmination. And I don't know that that's the, the best word, but I, I can't think of a better one. It is the, the ultimate end of our service on this earth. Every job you do for God has an eye on the judgment seat of Christ, or ought to. Because every work, every work, every work that you do, I could take 30 minutes and just list all kinds of examples, but you don't need me to do that. Think of what you do for the Lord or what you should be doing for the Lord or even what you see other people doing for the Lord, if I don't mean to judge them, but to give yourself an example, maybe of what you'd like to do for the Lord. And think about all of it and understand that every single one of those things that you could list, the end of it, the finish line, is the judgment seat of Christ. That is when you will find out how well you did. That's where I will find out how well I did. The judgment seat of Christ is the ultimate examination of every believer's time on earth. Number two, the judgment seat of Christ is not about justice. It's about reward. Very important distinction. There are two words for judgment seat. One refers to justice. That's where you stand before the judge and you are accused of a crime and you must find a way to defend yourself and the judge's responsibility is to see to it that justice is done. That is a judgment seat, but that's not this judgment seat. This is not the judgment seat of a judge who is meeting out justice. And that's not just my opinion. That is the words used in this text. It is not the place of justice where the judge slams down the gavel and says, Guilty! That dog coming from. (laughs) Anyway. I wonder if he's barking because some guy's screaming across the street. Anyway. That is not this judgment seat. This judgment seat, how many have ever competed? And I hate to use such a minimal uh, or, or, or minuscule, that's the word, uh, uh, illustration, but at least to help you see the difference, okay? How many of you have ever competed in uh, a county fair or, or competition, anything like that in your lifetime? Anybody? Okay, very good. We used to do uh, 4-H when I was a kid, and um, one t- I, didn't, I didn't have any pigs, but um, um, my cousin did. 
And so a few times we'd, we'd go to the 4-H fair, different places, and actually slept under the tent, slept in the sawdust, you know, to watch the pigs and take care of the pigs. You know, how, you ever go to, we always go, we didn't go this year for the first time in, in a long time, but we always go to the Rhinebeck Fair, the Dutchess County Fair in Rhinebeck, New York. And you're going through, and you're looking at all these animals. Oh, it's so pretty. Oh, it's so nice. And, and you see these, these uh, you know, folks. They're just hanging out, man. And they're just, uh, you know, barefoot and their overalls and stuff and having a big time and chewing on a piece of straw and whatever. And sometimes it's like you're not even there, you know, because they're just hanging out with their, with their goat or their, their sheep or whatever. Well, that was me a couple times when I was a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't the star, but I was there to help the star, you know. But there comes that time when you prepare anything. If you, if you, you can bake stuff that gets judged or, uh, you know, Aunt B's pickles, whatever, at the county fair. If you're, if you're into Andy Griffith, you're probably not. I'm probably the only one in the whole city of Danbury. But uh, whatever. You prepare stuff. And then you wait for the things that you've prepared to be judged. There's that same word, though. But we understand that judge, he's not going to slam a, a gavel down after he, he looks at your, uh, you, you know, uh, your, your pony that you brought to the fair and go, guilty! No, that's not the kind of judge that he is. He's simply going to pull out his clipboard. Everything cool back there? Uh, just to, you ever know, whatever. Uh, does he need help? I'm just, I don't like somebody going outside by himself. Um, He's not there. He's there to look at the various aspects and say, you know, that's a, you know, that's a three, that's a seven, that's a ten, whatever. And then based upon what you do, now he just walked out and a door slammed behind him. He's probably going to need some help back there, Brother Corky, all right? Um, <laughs> and you're going to get a ribbon or a trophy or something based upon what the judge says. And that, now, again, it's so much bigger than that, but I'm telling you that's the type of judge that this is. How many see the difference there so we can move on? The difference between guilty and, uh, okay, you win, all right? Okay, not, not an exact illustration, but just to give you a little bit of an understanding, that's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's, it's, it's no 4-H fair, okay? It's, it's, it's a little bit more than field day at school. Don't, I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing it. I'm showing you the difference between nobody's going to jail, okay? Or as a case in the great white throne, nobody's going to hell as a result of the judgment seat of Christ. Um, yeah, okay, all right. So number two, the judgment seat of Christ is not about justice, but about reward. Now stay with me because this gets extremely interesting. Number three, the quality of our works after salvation will be tested. Verse 10, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now there you might be te- tempted to say, yeah, but pastor, look, it says you're going to be judged for the good and the bad. All right. There's a word bad in the New Testament that means evil, but that's not this word. This bad means worthless, okay? You have a piece of fruit in your house that goes bad. It's not evil. You may think it's evil, but it's not evil. It just went bad. You have to throw it out because it's worthless, and that's the word bad here. Your, our works, our actions 
are going to be judged according to whether they are good, productive, or whether they're worthless. That's why you hear a lot of preachers when they talk about the judgment seat of Christ warning against things that waste our time. When you're talking about, okay, a lot of preachers like to play golf. I've only played two rounds in my life, and it was just to make the preacher happy that I was preaching for. Well, you don't care for it all that much. But a lot of preachers do play golf. I had a preacher uh, tell me that when he was my age, he, he would play 18 holes every single day until God convicted him about it, and he never played since. Now, you say, well, yeah, but everybody, everybody needs something to, to uh, take a break. Yes, it is, but you have to find whether something is helping you accomplish what God wants accomplished or something is a detriment to what God wants accomplished. And there's the balancing act that we all have to do. Do we all need things to, to relax us we, and refresh us? We absolutely do. Can that go overboard and get counterproductive? Yes, it can. And that's where we all have to judge the things that we, we use for relaxation and entertainment. Are they truly refreshing us so we can get back in the battle and keep on doing those things that will help us at the judgment seat of Christ? Or has it gone too far so it's keeping us from the things that will help us at the judgment seat of Christ? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this for yourself. We said, number three, that the quality of our works after salvation will be tested. And let's look at the process here. It's explained in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So everybody who stands at the judgment seat of Christ, and that's what it's describing here, is saved. You come out okay as far as going to heaven or going to hell, but he reminds us, but it will be by fire. It will be a scary process. Now, before we move on to number four, just in case you're going, Pastor, I, you know, because we have this image, and I heard preachers say this when I was a kid, and I, I want to debunk this if this is what's in your head, that you're going to stand there, and there's going to be this big screen, and you're going to see all the things that you ever did, and I'm going, oh, man, you're kidding me, really? All and, and everybody, you know, your grandma's going to be there, and everybody's going to be there, and they're going to see all the things that you ever did. Let me see if I can give you, take one more shot at helping you to see that that is not going to happen like that. At the now, great white throne judgment, it may very well be that every work that every man's ever done will be seen by the whole world. But judgment seat of Christ is something different, and I want you to listen to what, and, and by the way, if you want to read about future events as, as uh, taught in the Bible. You cannot read, I think, a better book than this book called Things to Come, written by Dwight Pentecost. But I want to read just a very short passage, not even a paragraph, that he wrote. The question of salvation is not being considered at the judgment seat of Christ. The salvation given the believer in Christ has perfectly delivered him from all judgment. 
to bring the believer into judgment concerning the sin question, whether his sins before his new birth, his sins since his new birth, or even his unconfessed sins since the new birth. I've heard preachers say that we will be judged for our unconfessed sins. But his point is that the Bible says, no, all of our sins were dealt with at Calvary. Even his unconfessed sins since the new birth, to say that uh, they'll be called into question is to deny the efficacy of the death of Christ and nullify the promise of God that their sins and iniquities will I remember no more, Hebrews ten seventeen. And there are other, he quotes other men who, who make the same point in the same way. Just because a man or a bunch of men say that that's the case doesn't mean that you're bound to believe it. But I would urge you to study the scriptures and find out that your sins were judged at the cross and you will not stand before God in being judged for your sins. At the judgment seat of Christ, your your works, your actions, your labor will be called into question. It will be tested by fire as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we said so far, number one, the judgment seat of Christ is the ultimate examination of every believer's time on earth. We said the judgment seat of Christ is not about justice, it's about reward. We said the quality of our works after salvation will be tested. Now number four, everything good that we will enjoy for eternity will come out of the judgment seat of Christ. Notice it says in verse 10 that everyone may receive. So the works that you do will be converted into eternal currency. The judgment seat of Christ is whatever else it is. It's, it's a... An, currency exchange where your works are cashed in and you receive eternal currency and listen when we get to heaven we're going to want eternal currency Jesus said lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven there there's something to be gained by working for God when do we find out the quality of our works here on earth at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know how it will work. Will it be a big crowd? Will it be a personal examination? I don't know how it will work. But what we need to know is we will face Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and our labor for the Lord on the earth will be tested and we will be rewarded. So number four, everything good that we will enjoy for eternity will come out of the judgment seat. We will walk away from the judgment seat of Christ knowing the quality of our life in heaven. Heaven's not going to be exactly the same for everybody. If you did nothing down here for God, you're not going to have the opportunity and I believe the privileges that people who gave their lives to the Lord's work will have, and that will be decided and determined at the judgment seat of Christ. Number five, we, now listen carefully, this is, I think, that maybe the scariest or, or, or among the scariest as it gets tonight, we are to be motivated by how bad it could be. Look at verse 11, knowing therefore, 
the terror of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to serve the Lord out of fear because just a few verses down it says the love of Christ constraineth us. But the point that Paul is making here is, hey, we know that this is the God who rained down fire in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that this is the God who opened up the earth and the men who criticized and attacked Moses were swallowed up with their families. We know the terror of the Lord. So whatever else motivates us in our service, as we consider the judgment seat of Christ, be motivated by the fact that you will be standing before the judge of the universe and know what he is capable of. We should be motivated by how bad it could be. Have you ever had to face somebody that you knew with all your heart they loved you, but you also knew how strong they were? (laughs) I know they're not going to hit me, but boy, if they ever did. No. My judge is not going to send me to hell. But he has the authority to. I know he loves me. But understand the power of the God by whom you're being judged. We're to be motivated by how bad it could be. Listen, this Christianity that is just all, it's all puppies and pancakes forgets about the terror of the Lord. If it's not at least something that we should occasionally consider, why did God put it in his book? In light of the judgment seat of Christ, God says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we're to be motivated by how bad it could be. Number six, I love this. In order to have a good judgment seat, we labor. Go back to verse 9. This is all in the same context, and he's, it all is working together. Where I'm building a, a chain of logic, so I'm doing it in a different order than the Scripture does, but the truths are all there. Number Verse 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. And then he goes right into 4, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So knowing about the judgment seat of Christ... Wherefore, we labor. In order to have a good judgment seat, we labor. Number seven, the desired outcome of the judgment seat of Christ is to be found acceptable to God. Now, very, very important distinction that all of this, these, these new definition of gracers need to see right in the Bible here. Don't miss this. It says, wherefore we labor that we may be accepted of him. Now compare that to Ephesians 1.6, which says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. Wait a minute. If he has made us accepted in the beloved, then why do we have to labor to be accepted of him? And that, to be honest with you, is one of the arguments that that these folks that, oh, it's all of grace, so we don't have to do a thing. 
They call they they have nicknamed it performance based Christianity. And the whole philosophy, and they're saying that that's bad. Performance-based Christianity is bad, that we should have to do anything because it's all grace. And that's the whole argument. Why, Why do I have to do anything to be accepted of him when he's made me accepted in the beloved? Okay, then why did God say, wherefore we labor that we may be accepted of him? say, okay, pastor, but you didn't answer the question. There's a contradiction there. Oh, no, there's not. This is so good. I hope you soak it in. I hope you you soak it in. The word accepted in Ephesians 1.6 is a form of the word grace. In other words, we have been graced into the beloved. Can I give you... My paraphrase of that, we have been graced into the heart of God. We have been graced into being precious in God's heart, and nothing can change that. I've never witnessed to anybody. I've never done a thing for God. You're still graced into being precious in God's heart. But the word acceptable in 2 Corinthians 5.9, I'm sorry, accepted in 2 Corinthians 5.9 means acceptable, well-pleasing. It's used nine times in the New Testament. And listen, every time the context is God being pleased with your actions. So here's, here's how those two verses fit together perfectly. What God does for us is that we are graced into being precious in God's heart. Every person here tonight, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are precious in God's heart. He loves you. You are graced into the beloved. You're God's favorite. And that won't change. That's what God has done for you. Now, what does that make you want to do? It makes you want to please him. It makes you say, as John said, we love him because he first loved us. It makes us say, I love you too, God. Oh, God, what can I do for you? You want to please him. Therefore, you labor that you may be accepted of him, that he may say, well, hey, you're you are beloved in my heart. You are precious in my heart. My grace made that happen. But because of the quality of your labor for me, I'm very pleased with the offering that you've brought to me. Thank you. So being accepted in the beloved is God telling us, I love you. And laboring to please him is us saying to God, I love you too. There's a distinction there. Very clear. Don't let anybody under the auspices of grace and this new definition of grace, cheat you out of a great judgment seat of Christ because you never labored for the Lord. That is a major, major flaw in the modern definition of Christianity. All right, we're at number eight. We're real close to the end. 
What is our labor? If the way to have a good judgment seat of Christ is to labor, what is our labor? Just go out and dig ditches? Is that? Not necessarily, although that can contribute. But here is the definition of our labor, verse number 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Number eight, our labor is to persuade men to follow Christ. That's the job. That's the assignment. The assignment is to persuade men to follow Christ. When you give someone a tract, that's labor for the Lord. When you witness to your family and friends, that's labor for the Lord that will help you at the judgment seat of Christ. When you go out on the soul winning bus or yesterday the the Danbury Blitz or you teach a Sunday school class, when you pray for ministries, whether it's ministries of our church or the missionaries that go take the gospel to the world, when you pray for God's work, when you finance ministries, why, why are we working and giving and raising money for another bus? It's going to be a lot of work. If we can't find one that's another color besides yellow, we're going to have to sand that thing down. That's a ton of work. We're going to have to tape it up. That's even worse work. We have to get it painted. We're going to have to get it inspected to get it on. Oh, this is a chore, man. Why do we do all that? We labor for the Lord, and the labor is to persuade men. And not only do you do the work of persuading men, but you do things to help other people to persuade men. When you know that the ultimate goal, the ultimate objective is persuading men to follow Jesus Christ, then it's not hard to see how that any job that you do is assisting in the work of laboring people to follow. That's why, by the way, just anybody that calls himself Christian or church or or God or whatever, if they're not bringing people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, if they're not emphasizing the gospel, you may not, your labor is not helping you at the judgment seat of Christ. It may help you feel good now, but I want to be involved in that which matters for eternity. And that which matters for eternity is our labor to persuade men. Now, here's the ninth and final truth about the judgment seat of Christ that we're going to give you tonight. And I almost made this the whole message, but we're going to just close with this simple thought. We must all appear. Hmm. You ever gotten something in the mail that said, you must appear? (laughs) Oh, man. Scary word. You must appear. For this one, we must all appear. There's no getting out of this, there's no exceptions. There's no, well, you know, I have small children, Lord. I, no, we must all appear. This happens often. It happened this morning. My wife, we were getting ready. She said, man, it just broke my heart. Pastor's wife decided to go down to the, to the gym, get a membership. Sean can tell you, gym's a dangerous place. Get a membership down at the gym. 
And uh, she was there. She was going faithfully. And one day, she came, pastor's wife, she came home and said, I'm not doing this ministry thing anymore. She said, and here it is. This is one of the Satan's great lies here to people that want to labor for the Lord. I just want to be normal. Toward the family part. Hurt the ministry of the Lord. Why? Because she just decided, I just, I just want to be normal. Now, we can address the, the, the normal thing some other time. But here was my first thought, and I said it to my wife. I don't understand how Christians make these decisions, their life decisions, knowing that they've got to face God over their labor. Do we not take it into account? Folks, we must all appear. This is big time. This is big. And I want, the number one thing I want for you is to know that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. But next to that, I don't know of anything I want as badly as for you to have a great judgment seat of Christ. How do you do that? To labor, to persuade men. So that your work is acceptable, that God says, boy, you really pleased me. And that fits right in with the words that we know from the Gospels. Well done. That's the acceptable here. Well done. Oh, I've done plenty of things. I've done plenty of things about which I know God's not going to say, well done. But I pray that when my works are tried by fire, when my labor is tried by fire, that maybe by, maybe by some slim chance I may hear the God who loves me say, well done, Joe. Tonight, I'm not trying to recruit workers. I'm not trying to, oh, some of you, get yourself in gear. That's, that's not it. Tonight, I, I want one thing. I want you to be motivated to persuade men and to assist others in persuading men for Jesus Christ so that you will have a great judgment seat of Christ. I don't want to stand. You know, we've had teen activities before. Not teen activities, but like going to conferences before. And, you know, I was taking the teens, and I got so busy, we got a flyer in the mail, and I didn't really look at it, and the flyer says, yeah, hey, there's going to be a big competition. And I just was so busy, I didn't, we didn't prepare. So a sports competition, a Bible competition, whatever. So we didn't make any effort whatsoever because I'm thinking, Oh, you know, we're, we're going for the preaching. Bless God, we don't have to worry about no trophy. And then we get there, and my teenagers miss out. Why? Because I didn't tell them there was going to be a competition, and we didn't prepare for it. So while everybody's in there competing and going for the prize, we're sitting watching, and I'm going, sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't read the flyer. Sorry, sorry. I don't want to be in heaven. The one that counts the examination. I don't know if we're all going to be sitting together, and if I save you seats, you might not want to sit there, and that's fine. It's up to you. But however it goes when we get there, I don't want to be looking around and catch your eye and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, we had some great parties, didn't we? We had some great activities, didn't we? It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Oh, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, I should have told you about this, huh? 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But wait a second. What, what you did today, whatever participation you had in bringing people closer to Jesus, persuading people to Jesus Christ, those works will be brought up at the, great, uh, the judgment seat of Christ and you'll be rewarded for the things that you have done. I urge you, please, be ready to face the Lord, to be rewarded for your service. Father, I pray.